Good morning, everyone. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would speak to us now. Thank you that we've been able to gather like this. Thank you that we've been able to sing together. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the truth of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us now by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Today I talk about the power of example. You know, you can tell me how to do something or you can show me how to do something. And of the two, right, we learn best by watching it being done. Albert Schweitzer, who was a missionary, um, a medical missionary and theologian who died in 1960, exhortations. In fact, if you would, would you please open your Bibles to Philippians 2? We're going to be anchored there today. At the end of chapter 2, Paul graciously gives us two personal examples. Two personal examples of people who followed the teaching that he just gave. It's as if Paul wanted us to know that his teaching is not just pie-in-the-sky kind of things. It's Paul saying, you know, these aren't unattainable principles... These aren't impossible goals. In fact, he's saying God's spirit and God's grace can and will produce these in God's people. So after all this very hard and deep teaching, these great exhortations, hard exhortation to us, he gives us two personal examples. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Before we look at these two men, let's review some of the exhortations that we've discovered in Philippians 2. Look at it through your Bible, or they're going to be up here on the screen. In verse 3a, he tells us, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. In the last part of verse 3, he says, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. In verse 4, he says, look, out, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In verses 5 through 11, he says, have the mind of Christ who emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. In verse 14, the exhortation, do all without grumbling or questioning. In the first part of verse 15, he says, Be blameless and innocent in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. In the last part of verse 15, he says, Shine as lights to the world. And in verse 16, he says, Hold fast to the word of truth. Boy, we look at that list and it's overwhelming, right? We look at that list and we need to remember some things. This is out of the book of Philippians. Paul wrote it to the saints in Philippi. So this is not a list on how to be saved. (laughs) No. If that were so, none of us would ever be saved. Right? No, but this is a list of what Christians are going to look like. This is what God's trying to, to form in us as followers of Jesus. And we look at a list like this and and we know because we know it by personal experience and we need to encourage each other in these things. These aren't all going to happen all at once. No, we grow in these things and 
we become these things over time, over a long time. We look at a list like this and we see it again and we, we know for sure that we are unable, but God is able. His spirit and his grace and the gospel will produce these things in our lives. And we look at a list like this and we need to hear it. Every one of us in this room need to hear this. This list isn't just for the elite Christians. It's not just for the British SAS or the Navy SEALs of Christians. This is for all of us. In fact, we look at a list like this, and these exhortations always come down to individuals. In fact, there's a danger. If we, when we look at biblical principles... And we look at them and we just say, well, those are just ideals. You know, no one actually does these things. We just hold them up. We just aspire to them. We just think that would be really great if we could, but, but they're just ideals. No one actually does them. There's a great danger in that. And, oh, God, forgive us when we come to the Bible, and that's how we look at these exhortations. No, these are for us. And Paul wanted to make that very clear. Usually he, he leaves his personal comments to the end of his books, but here he put it right here at the end of chapter 2 because he wanted us to know, he wanted us to see. He's very intentional here. He gives us two ordinary people, two living examples of men who were seeking to live out the principles of Philippians 2. Let's first look at Timothy. In verses 19 through 24, and I've summed up this passage, uh, this paragraph of Timothy with, out of verse 20 where it says, he was genuinely, genuinely concerned for your welfare. Listen as I read 19 through 24. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered up by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. As I read those verses about Timothy, I think Timothy was trying to do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. I, I think Timothy was trying to, in humility, count others more significant than himself. I think Timothy was one who looked not just to his own interests, but to the interests of others, right? We saw that about him. I think Timothy was trying to be blameless and innocent in the midst of a crooked generation. I think Timothy was trying to shine as, as a light to his world. Timothy was trying to live out those principles. Paul saw those principles in this young man, Timothy. Well, how did Timothy learn these things? Well, certainly by the transforming power of the gospel, right? 
and certainly by the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's how those things became realities in Timothy's life. But he had some examples. Over in 2 Timothy, one of the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy himself, uh, in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, it says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Paul, again, is writing to Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Timothy had his grandmother and his mother as living examples to him. These two women who were followers of Jesus, who had a sincere faith in Jesus, and who were living out these principles, and Timothy saw them in his mother and his grandmother. We also see in verse 22 here of back in Philippians 2, where he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. Paul, or Timothy had Paul as an example, as a father and a son. So we look at Timothy. Timothy lived the Philippians 2 principles. He lived them out in his setting, in the setting of his day. And in the opportunities and responsibilities of his life. I think the transition to us is very simple. How about us today? In the setting of our days. In the responsibilities and the opportunities of our lives. Are we as followers of Jesus? Seeking to live out these principles. Let's follow Timothy's example and be genuinely concerned for each other's welfare, for the people in our lives, for the people around us, for the society around us. Are we genuinely concerned for others' welfare? Alexander McLaren. a pastor of uh, the late 1800s, wrote this. A heartless believer or a heartless pastor, so busy in the service of God that he does not bother to serve his neighbor, neighbor is a monstrosity. I'm sure he hunted for the Strongest word he could. For Christians to be so busy in the service of God that we don't care about our neighbors, that we aren't genuinely concerned about the welfare of others, McLaren says that's a monstrosity. You know, there's two ways for us to live our lives. We can live to see what we can get, and in so doing, we, we take care of ourselves. Or we see what we can give, and in so doing, we take care of others. A current pastor, a pastor by the name of Edicio de la Torre, 
a pastor from the Philippines, writes this. If we look at our life as some precious treasure we must hoard, the demands made by others on our life are like losses. And death is the final loss, a final failure to hold on to our life. But if we look at our life as a treasure we must share, every service we give to others is a fulfillment of our life's purpose. And death is the final giving, the total giving. Folks, I ask myself, I ask each and every one of us, have we discovered the joy, the thrill, the deep satisfaction that comes as you follow God's leading and you give yourself away to others? And by God's Spirit, a heart within us develops where we are genuinely concerned about the welfare of others. You know, we've all been given opportunities all around us today in our circles of influence. Just think about during this pandemic. There are lonely people all around us. There are needy people. There are fearful people. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's a neighbor. Or maybe it's that co-worker that right now all you see is their face on, on, the, on the screen. And at the end of that screen, they're there and they're lonely and they're hurting. Or how about during the racial injustice that, that we're all being seeing and understanding maybe and, and hoping to understand, are we genuinely concerned about others? Those that do not have the same experience of, of justice or opportunity as we have. How will God lead us in this? Will the heart that's to come out of Philippians 2, won't it have an impact in that? Or as Lisa shared earlier about this ministry to Hoover and Meredith, doesn't it make sense that here as a church we would be genuinely concerned about our neighbors right across the street, these schools? Those needy people down the street, that kind person next door, that unkind person next door, Oh, Lord, give us this heart. We want to be examples of the Philippians 2 principles. Before we go on to Epaphroditus, we need to realize that Timothy was a young man. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says to him, Let no one look down on you because of your youth. We don't know exactly his age, but he was a young man. And so I say to you, young people in the room, lead the way in these things. Lead the way. Do better than we've done. Live out these principles by the transforming power of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Lead the way. 
And yet, right, we're never, it's never too late. And it's never too early. By God's help and grace, may we be people who seek to live these principles out like, like Timothy and be genuinely concerned for others' welfare. And then Epaphroditus. Listen as I read verses 25 to 30, and I, I've summed up his life by the phrase in verse 30 that he nearly died for the work of Christ. Verse 25 of Philippians 2. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I read those verses about Epaphroditus, and, and I think he too was trying to live out. I think he was in humility counting others as more important than himself. I think he was looking not only to his own interests, but to the interest of others. I think he truly was trying to have the mind of Christ who emptied himself to serve others. I think he too was trying to be blameless and innocent in a, in a crooked and twisted generation. And he was holding fast to the, to the word of life. They just kind of jump out of Epaphroditus' life from these short verses that talk about him. You know, we don't know much about Epaphroditus. He, he probably was from Philippi. And the church in Philippi sent him to Paul, who was in prison in Rome for the gospel. And he was to deliver a financial gift. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Epaphroditus probably took this financial gift from Philippi to Rome which is a, about a 500-mile journey by land and by ship. And what we know, what we assume, is he probably got sick on that journey. And then when he got to Rome and delivered that gift, he stayed there and ministered to Paul's needs and helped him however he could and probably stayed sick or got worse sick there in Rome. And like the account said, nearly died. Verse 30, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. There is risk in following Jesus. There is risk in living out the principles of Philippians 2. There is risk in being genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. 
Richard Sibbs, who wrote in the early 1600s, he wrote this, Better to be in trouble with Christ than in peace without him. There's risk. There's trouble. That church history is filled with stories of martyrs for the faith. You know, in this pandemic that we're all facing, how do we live this out? How do we take the right risks? I I think it doesn't mean we, without caution, don't wear our masks and go anywhere. I think that's foolishness. I don't think that's wisdom. But it does mean that we accept the risk and serve people as an Iowa food bank here at Westchester. And we accept that risk. You know, we love our global partners that are around the world serving Jesus and living their lives in other cultures. And some of our global partners are in places of risk. I'm sure you're like me. How do we find our way? How do we find our way with these risks, with the cost? Which ones are emerging out of faith and which ones, Lord, are, are, are foolish? We, we need to, how do we find our way? And thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to guide us and to direct us in living out the principles of Philippians 2. Will you accept the risk? Will you accept the cost? You know, Philippians 2, these, these challenges, they really are calling us to right priorities. Like Jesus said, you know, what, when someone asked him, what are the two most important commandments? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're going to live those things out, then Philippians 2 ties right in. Erwin McManus, who was a pastor, a current pastor in Los Angeles, he wrote this, It is a daunting task to change church, all of us, to change church from a place that serves consumers to a place that creates servants. Will we accept the risks, the costs, of serving, of being genuinely concerned, of of listening, of caring. May the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus encourage you today. They were real, ordinary people. They were followers of Jesus. They were men who had the gospel grip their lives, and they were changed. And life was not about themselves, but life became an opportunity to serve God and to serve others. So in conclusion, could I just ask a question? What would happen if Christians, by God's Spirit and the power of the Gospel, started truly living out the principles of Philippians 2? They're going to be on the screen if they're not already. 
These principles of Philippians 2, what would happen if we really genuinely lived these out? What would happen in our lives? What would happen in our church? What would happen in our world? How would our obedience to God's word affect our generosity, our caregiving, our listening, our priorities, our kindness? What if we sincerely, by God's power and help, we applied the principles of Philippians 2 relationally? How we treat the people in our lives. Vocationally. How we do our jobs. What if we applied these principles socially? How we function as a society. Or racially. What if we took Philippians 2 principles and applied them to our lives and racially? And how we interrelate and respect and care for each other. Or economically, how we use our money for the good of all. Or can I say politically, how our government functions. I stand before you. I don't pretend to know what this might look like. Or how we do it. But what I do know is the Bible calls us to these truths. And God has given us His Holy Spirit who has promised to guide us into all truth. And I know that the gospel is a transforming power. And I also know that there have been ordinary people who have lived before us and who have obeyed these exhortations and have changed their worlds. May God, by His Spirit, guide us all in our obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this passage of Scripture. Thank You for Philippians 2. Lord, we read these challenges, and they do overwhelm us. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, thank you for each other and the examples all around us. Oh, Father, guide us today. Guide us this week as we seek to follow your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.